If you cast your mind back to the worst of 2020, there was probably a point where you thought you'd never enter a physical store again. That whole time was a boon for Amazon, and the industrial space they were locking up went into overdrive. Fast forward to now, and the company's in a bit of a different place. After spending billions of dollars on new warehouses, a move that cut into profits, analysts say Amazon may have built too much too fast. This is BizNow Reports. I'm Miriam Hall, and today we're examining the exponential growth of Amazon's industrial presence and what its apparent retraction, like cancelled leases and deals on ice, means for the company and the industrial market as a whole. Hi, this is Jared Schenk. I am a reporter here in Atlanta with BizNow and a a longtime Amazon user. So it started before the pandemic when I got a Prime account uh, and just simply to shop for holiday uh, seasons. And Toys R Us closed. So we began getting our presents uh, through Amazon. And the next thing you know, uh, slowly and gradually, I started shopping more on Amazon for clothes, for electronic items, then the pandemic hit, and it became uh, our number one store. And I, while I would say that my, you know, I've returned to stores to shop, uh, I would also say that, that that my behavior on Amazon hasn't decelerated. Jared and I are kind of like chalk and cheese when it comes to online shopping. I still buy most of my things at physical stores, but that's because I like shopping and I live in the middle of Manhattan. Whereas Jared has kids and he's in the suburbs of Atlanta. If it's, if it's not a perishable item, uh, I'm getting it at Amazon. I don't need to go to the Macy's anymore, which I know it sucks for Macy's, but it's great for me. I hated going to Macy's. Lots of people do. That's what's given Amazon its reason for being. And it sucked even more when it was the most perilous phase of the pandemic and going to the shops meant risking going into crowds before a vaccine. That's what drove Amazon to lease more than 284 million square feet across North America in 2020. That's nearly 100 million more square feet than they'd leased the year before. But towards the end of 2021, Jared and our DC reporter John Bannister got wind of the fact that Amazon was changing its approach. Sources were telling them that instead of just leasing, Amazon was now looking into developing its own real estate. And that sent ripples, well, shockwaves really through the industry you gotta remember up to this point a majority of what amazon would do is lease and for landlords getting amazon as a tenant was like winning the lottery because they were able to take these long-term leases with this credit stellar credit tenant turn around and sell these properties to the investment market at very very low cap rates Um, So the fact that Amazon suddenly wanted to take advantage of their own success on a real estate front uh, was big news. Um, And at that at that same point, they shifted there. They also put their foot off, took their foot off the gas in terms of their real estate growth. Um, And this became very, very noticeable under the new CEO who has been doing a lot of cost cutting. You're hearing, you know, now you're hearing things of slowing down in terms of absorption they've they've um even stuff that they have 
built, they're not moving into immediately. And in, in a lot of cases, we're known that they're going in the sublease market too. It's only a, a small portion of their total portfolio, but it's still significant enough that the market got chilled when that announcement came out. Yeah, I was at an event, an industrial event up in the Northeast this time last year, and they said, oh, you'd be leery about working with Amazon right now. Well, these industrial landlords were feeling anxious about it. Yeah. It's interesting how much that they have commanded the market that any little move they make uh, is dissected and thought upon and, 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 and written about just because of how big they are. That's not all that's going on. This year, Amazon has been pulling back, no longer in an all-out growth mode. It's now in a period of re-evaluation, and that's meant it's closed several operating facilities and cancelled or postponed plans for dozens of future facilities. Well, Stuart, I mean, the boom that Amazon saw during the pandemic, I mean, I, the numbers were just crazy. Look, that demand has slowed. That means these logistics centres that were built like crazy during the pandemic, they're having to, to close some of these down. My name is Mark Wolfrat, and uh, I am the president of a company called MWPVL International, and we are a supply chain and logistics consulting firm. Mark's work is in three main areas. He does strategic studies for logistic firms and companies within the supply chain, telling them where they should be and how many centres they should have. His company also advises on the design of buildings and tells them what sort of technology they should be using, like what kind of software and hardware they should have within their buildings. He's following closely what Amazon is doing. So far, his company data shows, as of this weekend just gone, Amazon has 89 facilities around the world that are being closed, cancelled or having their openings delayed. Mark says, for example, if they close one, Amazon will consolidate it into one or two adjacent buildings nearby, getting rid of what he calls duplicity. What they've uh, also been working on is cancelling future projects where they had their toe in the water, but they hadn't made a big financial commitment as of yet. These were projects where they had expressed an interest to go into a new market, build a building. They were scouting out land. They were probably looking for permitting and that kind of thing and they ended up pulling the plug on the project. You know, some money had been spent but not much uh, towards the effort. Delaying buildings on the other hand is something completely different. Delayed openings are different because those are buildings where you have a, a building that's already been built to suit which means it's been custom built for you. The developers handing over the keys because the buildings ready in Q4 of 2022 as per the agreement you take over the building and start paying the lease but you don't ramp up the operation and start hiring people and the reason that you don't do do that and sit there with an empty building for one to two years is because you have too much capacity in the network already there's no point in adding another thousand people to a building and having it run and just increasing payroll expense. In all, Mark estimates that there is $1.5 billion worth of payroll costs that's being eliminated through these closures, cancellations and delays. So Amazon's going to be fine. Who could not be fine as a result of this? My first thought is developers that they might have engaged to <laughs> uh, build facilities that they're now either pausing or backing out of. 
Do you think that there's, there, <laughs> there's going to be some ripple effects there? The real estate people aren't happy. I mean, look, if you've got buildings that you're now sitting on and they're not driving revenue um, because Amazon walked away from it, you know, you can't be happy about that. <coughs> or at least you're feeling threatened that they might walk away from a lease arrangement that you've got in a building that is active. There, you know, in the situations where they're walking away from active operations, if the lease is not expired, they're subleasing. And the sublease market is pretty strong, so I don't think there's going to be any issues there from a real estate perspective. You know, I think I think the uh, the I don't even think Amazon is really, you know, they're, yes, they'll be cost cutting. They'll be looking to raise three P fees with their three P partners to drive more revenue to reduce cost of sales. There, there's a lot of people that will be equally unhappy coming out of these cuts. I mean, you don't take $21 billion out of a company without somebody being unhappy. When you look at the, the country, where would you say the big areas of growth are going to be? Well, the usual culprits are all of the logistics hubs for geographical reasons. So you have Inland Empire is almost completely sold out. You know, it's the port for everything coming from Asia. You've got the northern New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania region, which has become a mecca for distribution, especially Pennsylvania, where they have um, a strong labor force, non-union for the most part. There's millions and millions of square feet that have been added up to, you know, Carlisle, Harrisburg, Bethlehem, Allentown, all those areas, York, um, that are in eastern PA, Northern New Jersey, same story, you know, huge buildup where there's space available because we were running out of flatland in Pennsylvania in order to build these million square foot warehouses. Atlanta's been a huge growth area. It's to service the southeast. Uh, Dallas is a massive growth area for warehouse space, just massive. It's unbelievable what's taking place there. And then uh, Chicagoland. So those are the areas that always have stood off the page and then you've got others like Columbus, Ohio and um, Indianapolis and uh, Cincinnati and, and so forth where you know space is, is in constant demand. Memphis, um, these are logistics related, these are towns that have had for many years uh, a strong bedrock in supply chain because of their proximity to markets from a trucking perspective. There's been so much negative financial news and, and economic news lately. Do, do the things like interest rates, a strong growth market, a, a strong job market, suggesting that those interest rates are probably not going to slow down anytime soon, and the Fed is going to keep putting putting them up? I mean, how do they play out on the ground when there's a sort of a planning? going on for where warehouses should be, how much space they need, how much they should invest? It's a great question and I don't know that I have all the answers to that one. Uh, you think about the conditions that we live in right now are very tricky. We have first and foremost rising interest rates and inflation, both of which are counterintuitive if you're someone who's thinking about plunking hundreds of millions of dollars into a high-tech uh, distribution center. Some of these distribution centers that we're involved in cost upwards of four or five hundred million dollars to put
put up. You know, the majority don't cost that much, but there are buildings. When you add up the automation, you add up the uh, the building costs, etc. You're well over four or five hundred million dollars in capex, and when you start talking about interest rates rising, even by a percentage or two, that has a huge impact on interest expense, and you. St- you, you know, you can tell that the executives around the table realize, well, there's not much choice. We either do this to continue supporting the growth of our business and pay the price, or we don't do it and suffer the consequences of having an empty basket that we can't sell from. Or we just can't find the labor, and the net result is we can't get orders out the door. There's a real fear right now due to the labor situation, that people can't get orders out the door. Not Maybe not so much today, but looking down the road a year or two from now, what if we can't get orders out the door because we just can't find labor? And I think that realization took place in Europe well over 20 years ago. Their population demographics are very different than ours. They have well over 20% of the population 65 years or older and have had that situation for quite some time. We've always enjoyed 14% of the population being over 65. And now what's happening is if you look at the year 2030, the prediction is that we'll now be over 20% of the population of retirement age or older. So we're going to start looking like Europe. And Europe, when they put distribution centers up, large distribution centers, they wouldn't dream of doing that using manual labor. They, they, everybody automates. It's that's the de facto standard. They plug in automation. They minimize labor. They spend the capex. High cost of land. High cost of labor. Low availability of labor. Those are the market market conditions they've been living with for many many years. Which is why all the great automation solutions were born in Europe, and have migrated over here over time. So there's three things. So there's there's closures of uh, facilities they already have open. There's backing out of planned facilities where they haven't fully committed, but they were talking about it. And then there's delayed openings. So you're saying this this isn't, you know, Amazon's still going to have a spectacular year, but obviously something's gone wrong here. Did they overshoot what they were expecting? Or is it just the change of, of economic conditions? I think it's a combination of the above. Um, I always remind people when you, you know, it's easy to forget, but when you go back to March of 2020, human beings were basically terrified of this new disease and we were all hunkered down. And the only option we had was to order online. So at that point in time, if you were Amazon, you said this is the greatest single accelerator of our sales growth in the history of our business. Let's double down on the bet. Uh, no different than a poker game where you think you've got a good hand and that's what they did they they bet big time and they started opening up buildings at almost an irrational pace in 2020 and 2021 especially in the United States Um, so concurrent with the additional fulfillment space that they were adding they were also growing out their logistics capabilities and when I say logistics I mean transportation so all of their sortation centers and delivery stations that handle package delivery for Amazon Logistics. They were building that out at a tremendous pace uh, 
2020 and 2021 concurrent to the additional fulfillment space that they were adding as well. And in some cases, when we were updating the database, we were looking at the map and saying, well, some of this just makes no sense. They're putting a delivery station brand new right up uh, beside another one they already operate. And delivery stations are buildings that should technically handle about a 60 mile radius. So when you see two of them going up across the street from one another, you're scratching your head wondering why. And there was a, a, there was a number of situations where that was happening. In some instances, we thought, you know, maybe this is Amazon just grabbing space to keep competitors out. So they overshot the mark. Overshot the mark. But we can't lose sight of the fact, Mark says, that nobody even comes close to Amazon. It's like a freight train, he says, in terms of business expansion. He describes it as that they're shifting gears, going from third to second. The year 2022 is still going to be a spectacular year for Amazon. We're forecasting. Uh, right now that the company will open just under 80 million square feet globally of new space. And 80 million square feet of new distribution space is a huge number. Just to put that into perspective, it took Walmart 50 years to build out 150 million square feet in the United States. It's an extraordinary company. What is their behavior telling the rest of the industry? I mean, are other warehouse operators, other online retailers taking a similar approach where they're withdrawing? No, I haven't seen that at all. Is that because they Uh, haven't expanded quite to the same level or planned such an enormous expansion as Amazon? That's right. I I think if we think about it logically, when you operate brick-and-mortar stores, and that's the primary mode that you drive revenue in your business. The online channel is a subset of your sales that is still the minority of how you generate income. When the, and let's say it accounts for 20% of your income, 15% or something in that range, uh, when the online channel fluctuates and it goes up or down, that's only impacting that subset of your sales. The, the retail sales volume will make up for whatever drop is happening in the e-commerce channel. So therefore your business doesn't go through this type of shock wave that an Amazon experiences because it's more or less an, an online, you know, a pure online player. If you take away Whole Foods, it's really an online player. That's that's a hundred percent of its business. So it's experiencing that Titanic shock wave that all of the pure online players are experiencing. Whereas the Walmarts, the Targets, all the other brick and mortar retailers really haven't had to go through that adjustment or, or shutdown of buildings the way we're seeing with Amazon. It's business as usual for them. And then there's Amazon tumbling in the pre-market after missing on Q3 revenue, projecting weaker holiday sales for the current quarter, Jim. And as normal, their range is pretty wide on the quarter. Right. Uh, look, there's no, no doubt about it. Amazon did not deliver anywhere near what people thought. Amazon on Thursday reported $127.1 billion in sales for the third quarter, which is actually up 15% from a year earlier. And after two quarters of losses, it saw a profit. 
but it also predicted sales to slow in Q4, short of Wall Street's expectations, causing Amazon's stock to plunge. We're still over a month away from Black Friday, but retailers apparently are not waiting for November to come to start offering the deal. But none of this really changes the fundamentals for industrial, according to Mark. COVID and supply chain disruption has hammered home the need for companies to have product close by. And Mark says companies are actually repatriating their distribution centers now. Traditional retailers are advancing their ability to ship online, moving out of their existing spaces into their own dedicated fulfillment centres. That's all driving demand. Plus, there are new startups that are seeking space as well. That's on top of just normal demand as it is in industrial. Right now, vacancy is 4%. That's the data from Savills as of last quarter. The lowest it's ever been was 3.9%. Industrial owners say the debt markets are frozen, though. They can't get deals done because no one will finance anything and sellers won't sell because they're seeing that vacancy number and they're seeing people desperate to lease space. Vicky, good morning. Hard to believe, but the Black Friday deals are already here. What's up with the October deals? What should we be looking for? Deals are underway as we speak right now. Let me start with Amazon Prime Access Days. And if you take our reporter, Jared Shank, as an indicator for what most people are doing, living and shopping, it implies the fundamentals are still very strong. He's doing all his holiday shopping, literally every single bit online. I think that this holiday season is going to determine a lot on how industrial plays in the next year. Um, if consumers um, continue to spend at a healthy pace and if their shopping habits uh, continue to draw more online, uh, I think that will go a long way into calming lenders to develop more. They're going to realize that you know, this is, you know, we still need product out there to help retailers, uh, you know, man and suppliers manage this, um, this shift in consumer behavior. Um, you'll also have, you know, look, developers have this thesis. Not only do we have the online, sh uh, shift happening, but we've had this, we have this incredible supply chain crisis. We have this onshoring taking place now where manufacturing is, is slowly, but gradually coming back to the U S and, um, the pandemic taught a lot of retailers and even suppliers, they need safety stock. They need warehousing to keep things locally. Um, that, I don't think those trends are going away. And I think it's just going to be a matter of time before credit markets just, you know, get unstuck again. And they realize that. And I suspect um, industrial will be one of the first uh, asset types in commercial real estate to really kind of benefit from that. That's Jared Shank. He's our reporter in Atlanta. Before him, MWPVL founder and president Mark Wolfrat. More stories on our website. And I left quite a few stories relating to our reporting on the industrial market and Amazon in general in the show notes. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.